Some of us are back. I'm Jim, and welcome to UK Motor Talk. I'm Graham. Hello to you. Welcome. And I'm Dave. Seems like it's been ages. How's everyone doing, those of us who are here? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I think it's been not barbecue weather, which has been a bit irritating, and not caterum weather, which has been a bit irritating. It's been lovely weather during the week, but fairly miserable at weekends. So the uh, the weekend hobbies of going out for a blat and having a barbecue have been rather uh, rather curtailed the last couple of weeks. There's still not many miles being put on the caterum as yet, then. Uh, oh no, it's uh, it's keeping the miles off, and it's uh, it's keeping the the gallons per month or the fuel cost per month down so that's something i suppose really but i just at least have the joy of knowing that i've paid a good chunk of road tax on it and not had a chance to do much with it which is slightly irritating but there we are i'm doing my bit for the uh the pothole repair fund that seems to be non-existent around here at the moment <laughs> yeah tell me about it oh well something to look forward to once the sun comes out we are due some apparently but let's be careful what we wish for given what um Europe is experiencing at the minute. I think I could live without that level of heat and warmth and sunshine. Well, there is a lot of heat, but I heard something today that actually the uh, the the way they're measuring the temperature has changed. And this reminds me ever so slightly of uh, car temperature gauges, because you get in the car and you think it's not that hot, surely, and then you drive off and the wind gets to the uh, the temperature sensor and it settles down to what it should be. I think they've been measuring the ground temperature as opposed to the air temperature. So anyone who's parked a car in a, you know, a big open empty car park will see the temperature gauge on the outside shoots up to 30 or maybe even 40 degrees because the tarmac tends to get a bit warmer as it's getting baked. But it's uh, I don't think it's actually quite as hot as they've been saying, to be fair. I could be wrong. But. So they recorded recently a temperature in China, which was recorded by satellite from space of some isolated bit of Chinese desert. And I think that was 62.2, which is quite warm. Blooming neck, that is warm, isn't it? For our American listeners, that's centigrade Celsius, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> I was at, yeah, I did, uh, I did get in a car today that was uh, fresh off the boat, still in transport mode. So I thought, oh, it was a bit cold in here. So I turned the temperature up a bit and it said 77 on the dashboard. So I was like... Well, no, listen, no, I don't want it quite that hot. I think I'll go a bit lower. But yeah, I think that was stuck in a, stuck in Fahrenheit, <laughs> which is a bit odd as the car was made in Europe rather than America. I was most confused. Not as confused as the car was, evidently. Clearly. Such are the joys of globalisation. So what's been happening this week? I believe the, uh, the Formula One's been uh, getting a bit interesting. It looks like other people are almost winning, but uh, it's still Red Bulls to walk away with. They're going to take McLaren's record with them, aren't they? Just as we head for the break. Yeah, so you're quite right. They did. Uh, they did indeed take the record away from McLaren. I mean, it's uh, there was a Schumacher quote they played out with that. You know, I always thought records were there to be broken, and and you watch some of these records come and go, and you think that that can never be beaten. Surely, you know, statistics, a puncture, a badly timed safety car, a wheel nut going awry, you know, finger trouble on a 50p valve in the pneumatic system. Surely, something's got to go wrong. But it's it's just relentless. The the Red Bull winning machine that is Max Verstappen is is 
phenomenal what they managed to achieve, really. I was, and, and hats off to them and fair play. I don't bear any ill will or negativity towards Red Bull. They're, um, I mean, not least because they looked after me at the Grand Prix as well. So that's uh, easy easy to buy my soul, so it happens. But it's um, simply up to the others to do a better job. And I think actually most of the other teams and team bosses will begrudgingly say the same thing. They just say, well, yes, we need to do better to take that record away. And then, But it's, I mean, McLaren were chomping at the bit and all of a sudden, yeah, They've they've just suddenly turned everything up to eleven, or something's clicked, or it's just been like a light switch, hasn't it? From it looks like that from the outside. There's obviously many, many hundreds of thousands of hours of uh, of work have gone into it to enable that turnaround. But they've uh, yeah they've they've shot back with a vengeance. So the the battle for second in everything as it would appear, because there is actually only one Red Bull doing all the winning. But the uh, the battle for second's quite interesting, and actually Lewis getting pole that was a good bit of a shock, and that was a nice surprise. So that was uh, that was good to see. I think the the others are getting closer. Whether the um the cost cap penalties that Red Bull are facing and the uh, the resource restriction and the lack of wind tunnel time etc is that kicking in slowly but surely I think it I think it might be yeah it's wonderful to see the leveling up I mean the the, the grid spread was was absolutely tiny less than sort of any grid that I can remember it was so close together and then to find somebody like Joe Guan Yu in uh, qualifying in fifth I think it was where did that come from? It's yeah, it was, it was it was an odd one. It was it was very odd. It was it was a very odd grid, and there was a sort of inevitability about that grid falling apart in uh, the first lap or two, because clearly there were people that had achieved very very good qualifying times, but cars they were driving were simply not sustainable over the course of the race, and uh, that happened to quite a lot of people. The tweaks they'd made to the qualifying format seemed to work quite well. If you weren't quite playing close attention, slight tweak of the uh, the rules, an experimental format change was Q1, you have to use the hard tyres. Q2, you have to use the medium tyres. Q3, you have to use the soft tyres. So it, it made it important for the... Uh, I don't know, the setup window of the car to be a bit wider, a bit, because you can have some cars that are uh, very good at heating up the tyres. So the Haas, for example, they qualify well as they can switch the tyres on quite quickly. Uh, but the downside of that is they chew through the tyres quite quickly. So they uh, they tend to fall away in the race. But they had, uh, yeah, the, the Haas's qualified well, the, the Alpha Sauber's qualified well and it's yeah just it it did seem to shake it up a little bit so i think there's that that kind of tweak that kind of system's got a few legs i think but it was um you know not not the greatest weekend for perez you know we said it's uh it's obviously uh verstappen and red bull is a, a foregone conclusion for p1 in both championships but who's going to finish second it seems to be ebbing and flowing between the McLarens and the Aston Martins early in the season. Ferrari seemed to be fading away as things go on. But I think the, you know, Perez, a, a reasonable amount of pressure on him this weekend with uh, recent qualifying woes and then Daniel Ricciardo being back in the uh, the Alpha Terry. We'll get on to him in a minute. But the uh, it almost seemed, uh, oh, Danny Rick's back. And then first flying lap of the weekend, Perez chucked it off and into the wall. It's like... Oh, that's not the best start. Just bearing in mind who's uh, who's just rocked back into the uh, the Red Bull Junior team. But I thought I thought Danny Rick did uh, did really well. He was up to speed almost instantly. You know, Friday first practice, hardly any running at all because of the weather. Straight back in here, I, I think it was like he never left. He was unlucky at the first corner to get 
taken out, but managed to uh, to keep it on the road and in one piece and, and had a decent race to learn the car a little bit. And if you looked at his, his lap times during the race, he, he had a bit of a turn of pace over Sonoda, just snuck ahead of him in Q1 on the hard tyres and managed to get through and ended up qualifying that bit higher. I think the, the number of positions between Sonoda and, and Danny Rick didn't quite tell the story, as you say. It was a, a very close session, but yeah, it was just it was good to see him back, and good to see him smiling. You know, a, a word again for Nick DeVries. I think he's been treated rather harshly, only having ten races to get up to speed. You know, it was always a, uh, a Franz Toss thing that you need one, two, maybe even three seasons to get properly up to speed with a lack of preseason testing. So to be uh, to be there or thereabouts as Nick DeVries was uh, was uh, was I think more than respectable. But I am glad to see Danny Rick back. I have uh, I have missed him, and I think as we've said in the past about fashions coming back into uh, you know you wear something for long enough that fashion goes round in circles and it comes back into fashion again. I've still got a Daniel Ricciardo Red Bull hat. So actually, they don't change their driver numbers anymore. So I think a Red Bull hat with a number three on it might be uh, might all of a sudden be brand new again. So I'm uh, I'm getting my money's worth out of that one. Hang on to that. It'll certainly sort of go in that direction. It's interesting the the revelation from Christian Horner that uh, he'd actually talked to Daniel Ricciardo before the Silverstone test because most people, the pundits, were saying that it was all about the Silverstone test, and then. Uh, Christian Horner comes out and says, well, actually, no, we talked beforehand and that sort of sealed the decision. And then uh, Marco was uh, given the job of getting shot of uh, Nick DeVries, which um, he does seem to be a little bit good at. He's a sort of Red Bull executioner, I think. So um, I'm sure it was a very uh, fraught phone call and, and a great pity because I think Nick DeVries has been rather shabbily treated Deserved a bit longer, but, you know, like you, I'm pretty ambivalent about uh, the end result because I'm delighted to see Daniel Ricciardo back. And yes, he had a very, very poor race, but not his fault. Lucky to keep it uh, on the track after being attacked from the rear. From the layman's um, perspective here, as a elapsed Formula One fan, as as you'll know, and still holding a holding a candle for local boys and girls McLaren. What is it that has enabled them to suddenly leap from being sort of a mobile chicane to challenging for, well, perhaps not first, but for being the next of the uh, the losers on the next step down from the podium? What, what have they done? Have they just basically delayed bringing in tweaks? Have they suddenly gone, oh, Eureka, we found it? I mean, it's not as easy these days to just keep developing and keep developing, is it? Because it's so capped. Is this something that was delayed from the beginning of the season and now they're finally sort of bringing in phase two of the development of the car or something? It seems to me, as as you hint out there, that um, they've been steadily developing, but they've also been throwing a lot of money in over the last two seasons, which was money that that previously McLaren don't seem to have had. Perhaps people they don't seem to have had because, you know, McLaren in the last two seasons have been buying in people from other teams with um, what I'm sure are very, very tempting offers. So they bought some engineering excellence and some aero excellence into the team. And uh, I think all of those things have, have certainly made a difference. But um, clearly they have a very, very able number one driver in Lando. And... Uh, this young Australian guy's uh, a bit handy too. I think we're going to see a lot of him. He talks very well too. Interesting uh, post-race interviews. He's a smart lad. I think that's what you want, isn't it? Intelligence. From a personnel point of view, 
the uh, lots of the McLaren signings haven't actually started yet or are still on gardening leave or due to join so there's there's lots of ideas and bits and pieces coming through that are from from quite a few months back i think McLaren took the view from their pre-season results and the first race results to say oh hang on we haven't quite optimized this right so i think McLaren have almost not done too much with the car in the meantime race by race or week by week it's more been a uh, okay, actually, we've gone a bit wrong with this. Bring it back a few steps. Then let's go down this path. And then we'll just take our time, get down that path, and then release the whole thing when it's ready. So rather than a you know, software update 17, 17.0.1, 0.2, 0.3, they've just gone straight from 17 to 17.5. And they've they've made that big jump. It's I I think in the main it's it's uh the predictability of the peak performance of the car and the the aero platform is uh, obviously we've gone ground effect this year um and, and the last couple of years for you know the aim of improving racing and closer racing so i think too many people put too much focus on the actual ground effect i.e the peak and what it could do without quite realizing that you need a very stable platform for that aero to work so you can have the the peakiest best un, you know underbody downforce this that the other in the world but if you get the porpoising issue where it hits the ground and it disappears and bounces up and down and up and down and up and down that makes the the peak downforce massive or zero and it fluctuates bounces in between the two where Red Bull have got it so well is no porpoising, no bouncing, so the aero performance remains very stable within a few percent of where it should be. That makes the car predictable, it makes it easier to drive on the limit, easier to set up and, and do what you want, but also be consistent. Where the McLaren has, has made me fall down, I think the reason Ricardo struggled with it was he maybe was used to Red Bulls with that stability and consistency of aero, the McLaren would would drop out of it completely and you wouldn't know what it was going to do until you got into the corner. And that's got to be the most unnerving thing. You turn the wheel and what's going to happen? Is it going to understeer? Is it going to oversteer? The McLaren issues of, of recent seasons were it would do both and then one and then the other. But you would do exactly the same thing two laps in a row, and the car would do two completely different things, just depending on on where the the aero platform was. So lots of their of their tweaks have been getting a better platform to get the aero to work and get the aero to work consistently. I think has has been the key, and that's allowed both drivers to to lean on the car and just extract more of the performance, more of the time, and and hence they seem a lot closer. Just to pick up on a, on a you know still F one related topic, but a slight change of pace was the. Uh, did anyone catch the young presenters that Sky had wheeled out? Where the hell they found these kids from? I've got no idea. It's been years since I've heard a youngster string a sentence together like that. I mean, to be honest, it's been years since I've heard most adults string a sentence together like that. They were very impressive, articulate, fluent, just you know insightful. But just how they didn't seem starstruck with the whole thing. If I did been doing that at that age i'd have just been running around like a lunatic for the whole weekend i wouldn't know i barely know what to do with myself when i go to things like this and i'm a somewhat fully grown adult it's um didn't they do well 
yeah, it was good. I only caught a bit of it. I wasn't quite sure what I was seeing because it said Formula Juniors. And I thought, oh, is this some new racing series? And I thought, is this running concurrently with the race in Hungary? Then realised, no, this is actually Sky's coverage, but um, with kids and um, Nico Rosberg, who isn't that old either. But, you know, it was <laughs> it was quite good. I thought, well, this is a way of getting Sky coverage for free or for cheap. Um, I doubt it's going to be a regular thing because you'll just get people going, well, I'll, I'll just watch that. I can live without Martin Brundle. But, uh, no, it was definitely an interesting show. I could live without the childish graphics. That was probably a little bit patronising, the um, Nintendo-alike driver avatars. But, yeah, it was great. Like you say, the kids were really switched on. I mean, they obviously been trawling the Anna Share School of Commentary or something around the Brentford or, or around wherever Osterley or Sky are these days. But no, joking aside, it was very refreshing and um, to hear articulate children who don't sound like they've just come off a stage school and who knew what they were talking about as well, knew the questions to ask. They were well-researched, which I think um, goes a long way. Yeah, I think they did a very good job. I, I only saw part of it, uh, but uh, the story that I really enjoyed was... Uh, Afterwards, one of the children having to apologise for continually calling Nico Brittany, which, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly common knowledge that's uh, an unfortunate nickname of his. But the um, the child, uh, as I understand the story, was uh, obliged to uh, apologise on air. As you say, it's a, it's a famous and well-documented nickname. I think Nico Rosberg seems to be quite happy to, to roam around the paddock just winding people up as much as physically possible. And uh, whatever you think of uh, of Nico Rosberg, the way he winds up Christian Horner is uh, is very entertaining. So I think there's a Christian Horner seems to be one of those Marmite characters, but maybe on the more on one side than the other. I'll let the listeners decide which uh, which side is the majority. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he enjoys winding uh, winding everybody up. So I think he, uh, he he can take it as well as dish it out, and it's fine. But he's uh, he's got enough enough behind him and enough that he's done in his life that I don't think he uh, he really has to worry too much about it, does he? So frankly, I heard a rumor he was the only person to beat uh, beat Lewis in an equal car to the world championship. I, was, I think he might have reminded a few people once or twice. So uh, over the years, so I've heard anyway. Yeah, quit while you're ahead, Nico. Oh, that was that was very good, elegantly done. I mean, the occasion he did. Were- yeah. Yes, in, indeed he did. I, mean, I was still watching then, so I, so I know. Um, on the occasions we've we've met him at various events, he's always come across as very personable, friendly, and and funny. And I think that goes a long way. The the worst thing I think when you've got Formula One drivers is someone who's just devoid of of character, and you just get the automata who parrots the PR spiel. Oh, I just like to thank this, and I just like to say that we did this, and you know for sure X, Y, and Z. That's the sort of thing that just has my head in my hands. But when you've got someone who can sort of, I mean, someone like a Gerhard Berger who will happily sling his teammates. Um, briefcase out of a helicopter at uh, <laughs> 3000 feet and uh, and superimpose photographs of uh, chimps onto friends passports just prior to uh, reaching the border that's the sort of person i want to see in formula 1 not someone who will just sit there and um, recite from the pr handbook and i think nico tends more towards the uh, the the fun end of things like you say jim i like the uh, the characters that aren't quite out of the sort of jelly mold of uh, at the PR school and have some spark of character. And I think that's why everybody loves Danny Ricardo for the, you know, that reason to come back to him. He's, he's old school. Um, he says what he thinks, um, sometimes not always wisely, but he says what he thinks. 
and he's totally engaging and totally charming and uh, well you know everybody's going to end up grinning with him uh, perhaps not as large a grin but I um, mean it's a great character definitely he does make the world a better place doesn't he Daniel Ricardo I feel I feel happier that he's around a little bit more it's a very good thing very good thing yeah formula 1 take note less robots I mean, it'll all be AI in a couple of years anyway. The cars will be driving themselves and there'll just be some sort of fuzzy logic thing thrown in to sort of throw a bit of a a curve in. I don't know. I can't see it somehow. But it does make you wonder, actually, just with that thought, how Formula One is going to negotiate the AI age. What, What are the... I mean, obviously, it's so heavily regulated. And, you know, obviously, many, many years ago, there were grayed out lines of um, computer code in certain teams uh, ecu management systems and so on but as as we do become more and more sort of into this era of computers thinking for us i do wonder how that is going to affect i mean obviously it's going to affect all of us and it is starting to affect all of us but formula one being such a technological sport and so heavily policed it does it does make you wonder is there scope for for cheating again and letting the uh, the car? I mean, it wasn't me. I didn't write it. The car thought for itself. It it decided it wanted to have an extra three thousand horsepower in that corner or, or whatever. I mean, no, you, think? you can guarantee if uh, if if there are a set of rules there and you can apply AI or that's uh, arsehole intelligence uh, to <laughs> the circumstances, then um, it will. Somebody will do so. Bring back Flavio Briatore, I say. Oh, I think he's the least likely person they're ever going to allow back anywhere near a Formula One car, let alone a track. I mean, he's probably locked away somewhere, isn't he? A bit like uh, Silence of the Lambs style. He's on a he's on a sack hoist with a with a thing on his on his face. But he again, he was a character. Yes, he was a he was a nailed on cheat. But you know, I think we can say that without any fear of lawyers. Yeah, we don't. Do, we don't need to put allegedly in front of that, no, do we? For uh, for no. legal reasons, definitely. I think not. it was proved. It was pretty much proven beyond all means of a doubt. But again, he was a character. He was somebody that you could always look to for a quote, and it would raise eyebrows, <laughs> regardless, or depending on who was on his arm at the time, would depend on which quote it was he was bringing out. Nowadays, you know, you've you've got a lot more. It was always the case. You had the serious people, the grandees, Frank Williams, Ken Tyrrell, Ron Dennis, you know, with his famous Ron speak. But even even Ron Dennis was interesting because you were just itching to find out how he was going to mangle a very simple phrase by turning it into Ron speak. But we seem to be. Mis- out on that now. Christian Horner's good value at times, though I suppose, isn't he? Especially if he's been wound up by Nico Rosberg. Yeah, as I mean, you say mentioned the uh, the AI thing on uh, on cheating and you know engine modes and the car decided and this that the other. I mean, it kind of opens up the the topic of AI as a wider rule. You know, do you use it to design the car? You can go to various websites and say to it, right, okay, draw me uh, Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles in the style of Banksy, but with a background of uh, Paris on a summer's day or something. And it will just Google search image, look things up, find out what all the words that you typed in mean and kind of cobble it together in, in some form of something or other. But I'll tell you what, you look at some of these and you think, and I, I know nothing about art, but I know what I like. And you look at some of these photos and you think, yeah, if I had that printed out on a canvas and stuck up on the wall, that'd do me. That looks like art to me. That's good enough. So, you know, if it can do that, can it design? And and again, I think there's a, with with card design overall, 
not just uh, not just Formula One cars. You know, all cars are kind of starting to look the same. Is that just aerodynamics and drag coefficient? It's kind of the best shape, so there's only so many variations. Formula One could use AI to design it, design me a front wing that is this tall, this wide, this whatever, and will channel this amount of air underneath and this amount of air to the side and give me the maximum amount of downforce for the minimum amount of drag. Will AI then just trawl hundreds of thousands of images of cars and pick out the best ones and design it? It probably could. It probably... Formula One teams probably are doing it. Isn't that the risk with AI, that it'll simply go through all the iterations that it can find already on the internet of front wings, for example, and produce something which is a compromised version of that? Perhaps that's not such a bad thing, but um, you know, if that's going to happen with road cars, will it happen with F1 cars, in which case we might as well just be running a race series where uh, they will drive clones? And then perhaps... It comes down entirely to the driver's skill. That's the age-old argument, isn't it? Well, it is indeed. I'm still amused by the fact that, uh, according to what I read recently, uh, Adrian Newey still designs on a draftsman's board, and then um, he has minions that uh, then computerize and do the CFD and all the other stuff because, you know, his background is thinking constantly about aerodynamics. That's you know one of his strong points. So. He doesn't necessarily need to have a computer design anything for him. It's it's still by eye, and then it's run through all of the test systems, and you know the engineers get at it and make comment. But he starts with a clean sheet of paper, and I still admire that. I do believe our uh, our friend and uh, local car designer of note, Mr. Murray, does similar, doesn't he? He's of the same era as um, as Mr. Newey. I mean, I'm old enough that when I was at school, we were still doing technical drawing on big drawing boards, draftsman's boards and things, and I used to quite enjoy that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you what <laughs> how to do any of it now. Orthographic projection and, yeah, all that sort of thing used to give me sleepless nights. Although, for my... O level because again I is old for my O level exam I had to draw I think it was in planimetric or was it three point whatever it was I had to draw a bond bug which was it was quite a cool thing I you know it came out looking quite good so even even there so on topic everybody on topic it's uh, I wasn't allowed to colour it in orange though which um, <laughs> was a bit of a shame but yeah I, I actually saw one of them the other day. where did I see one of those I think it was locally. But it, um, God Almighty, it doesn't have to catch the eye when you see one, doesn't it? I mean, in this, in a sea of grey Audi SUVs, something like a little tiny block of orange cheese whizzing along on three wheels really does sort of make you stop and stare. That's would uh, would AI ever design anything like that? I mean, we said how would uh, how would AI do it? And as I say, it looks things up and researches and looks basically on the internet, scours it and interprets it. So. Okay, it can take previous things and reinterpret them. And, you know, chat GPT, if you sit there and ask it a question, it looks it up and puts it into some sort of format and off it goes. But it, it can only sort of go from, I think it's 2021 and previous. And if you're, you know, design me the best front wing ever, then it would look at all of the ones that have come before and pick the best bits. But can it pick anything new? Can it create anything new? I don't think AI is quite there yet. I think that's where where Adrian Newey comes in, is that new idea, that new bit 
but the whole concept of the car. Maybe that's why you can just draw it and visualise the whole concept. You know what you want the whole thing to do. The details and the intricacies and, and everything like that is is worked on by hundreds of other people and, and thousands of hours of computer work go into it. But the is the overall concept. And can AI create that yet? I don't think it can. It'll be a scary day when it can, of course. It's only I a matter of remember time. very well a delightful uh, interview of Goodwood with Newey charming guy and a really interesting uh, interviewee and he broke off the interview briefly to have a row with the FIA about the rule book because he'd done something that they didn't like he uh, went off for about 10 minutes and then came back and I loved his comment well I won that one <laughs> and uh, yeah no, that's, the, that's the genius of the man he finds those things. He finds those uh, loopholes. He finds ways of doing things that, um, as I heard somebody say recently, it's not that he's thinking out of the box. He's so far away, he can't see the box. He designed the box. Yeah. He invented the box and has moved on. <laughs> remember Christian Horner telling me, oh, yeah, yeah, as, as, a, as a hobby, he designs mini differentials. Keeps him busy, I suppose. You could see why he got on so well with Ron Dennis. And, you know, they, I think they, they think along the same lines. They're certainly um, spectra, shall we say. I think they're, uh, <laughs> they're certainly residing on the same sort of course. But it's interesting. I mean, he's, he's hung around a long time. I mean, Christian must really indulge him because one of the reasons he stuck around as long as he did at McLaren was because Ron realised that he was going to get bored very quickly and he wanted to indulge his other interests, like you say, making mini differentials or whatever it was that week. I think he's got an interest in um, sort of very old cars as well, hasn't he? You know, vintage cars. And I think um, Ron realised that and kept him sweet. But eventually a mind like that's going to get bored very bored very quickly and i think christian really must know apart from paying him a lot of money which probably doesn't come into the equation i shouldn't have thought perhaps not as much as you might imagine lets him have his head and say okay yeah well as long as you keep the cars going you can go and do what you want go and design windmills or whatever you want to do have fun just see you next sunday he's done wind turbines he's done um, racing yachts and across the aston martin supercars hypercars well listen to uh to something this week about uh adrian newey moving from mclaren to red bull and the well the, the whole start of the red bull team and i think the the conversation to get adrian newey over was uh i, th- I think initially he just sort of asked for you know the same figure that mclaren were paying him uh which by all accounts was a bit expensive but gerhard berger got involved so much as he was a, a joker and a jester and good fun Somebody said, well, how much is it going to cost to get Adrian Newey? How much? Well, that seems like a lot of money. And I think Gerhard Berger just said, well, it depends how valuable you think a couple of seconds a lap in the performance of your car is. Oh, I see. Is he that good? Yes. Hire him. Oh, okay. So they just paid him what he wanted. But I think the the Christian Horner way of doing it is, it, yeah, he just lets him do what he likes. If, if he wants to go off and do the Valkyrie or do America's Cup or do this, that, do the other. You know, there's been the odd season where... Newey has been less involved with the F1 project and he's gone off and done other things, but he's come back with a vengeance and got his teeth stuck into it. And, you know, it's it's well worth it. I think it was uh, Frank had uh, made Adrian Newey certain promises and then didn't quite fulfil them, said he'd have a say on drivers and this, that, the other. I think Newey was particularly irked at the treatment of Damon Hill. 
because uh, he worked very well with him and, and he knew that he could chuck Damon in one of his cars. Damon would tell him X, Y, and Z, and he could rely on that perfectly to improve his design. That, uh, obviously, Damon and, uh, and Williams parted ways and the, the promises of greater influence and, and, you know, a bit of skin in the game at Williams didn't happen, so off he went to McLaren. But, yeah, I think it was just a, a bit of a cold culture there or just, uh, you know, Ron Dennis was always... I think something else I heard this week as well was David Coulthard at one point considered having um, the hairs at the back of his neck or around the side lasered off so he didn't have to trim them as often because Ron Dennis would get very upset if he had straggly unkempt hairs at the bottom of his neck and you think... Okay, if if you're considering that, that that's the sign that the man is is just very much a, at one end of something. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I could be putting up with that. I mean, Coulthard, to be fair, is always one of the most immaculately turned out people you will ever see. He just looks perfection in whatever he's wearing. You know, just jeans and a t-shirt. He manages to make it look like a million pounds worth of jeans and a t-shirt. So maybe the uh, maybe the old habits did uh, did rub off on him, but it was uh, yeah. I think it was just the yeah. Your your mind is wired a certain way, so um, yeah. Let his mind wander and do what he wants, and it seems to be keeping him happy enough, doesn't it? Definitely. I'm still amused by Ron uh, having the uh, team trucks at every race jacked up so that they could get uh, the wheels in the, the the right position on all the team trucks, which um, you know that's that's their tire sponsor. So I suppose. He was entitled to doing that, but it just seems a wee bit extreme. It's attention to detail, though. I mean, I, I'm maybe a little bit biased. I mean, I do, I do miss him. I do miss that era. I know there's a lot of people at McLaren that don't, but I think it was that obsessiveness and attention to detail which did pay dividends. You know, in the heyday, it was the sort of make sure everything is absolutely right. Yeah, things like rotating the the lorry tires and things that you know that's that's OCD through and through. But again, it just shows. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Do it from start to finish. I mean, these days you yeah. just invent something like Rolls Royce have got, where it just has the thing hanging the right way up in the middle, and lo and behold, it just says Goodyear regardless of which way you look at the thing. That would be the way to do it. And I'm sure he's probably kicking himself that he never invented that. But you know, you you do need people like that. And I think in Newey, you have got the the continuation of the perhaps you know, a little bit of Ron lives on in Red Bull, perhaps. Uh, that may be so. I mean, I think on a, on a very practical note was uh, Ron, of course, introduced the uh, the slabs, the tiles on the floor of the of the F1 garages, which sort of reproduced the the uh, the situation at, uh, that they had at McLaren, and was insistent that those floors were kept very clean. But it did give the mechanics a, a clean, stable working environment as though it were in the factory and they could be laid in any garage anywhere in the world uh, that they were at that time so uh, you know there's a lot of things that did come out of that uh, obsession with detail some good some bad but a lot of them very good but so they got to the front for so many years and a record that's only just been broken of uh, success, which is, what is that? I think it was 1988. It's remarkable to think it's it stood for so long, but it's, it's remarkable to think that record was set all that way back then, you know, and, you know, material technologies and x-rays and testing and quality control, this, that, the other, you know, the, the tools and the mechanisms they have available to them these days to 
analyze parts and examine parts and see which parts are going to fail or life cycle testing you know all that's come along leaps and bounds so it's it's i'm not going to say it's easy but it's maybe easier to predict when a part's going to fail and replace it and whatever else and and engineer the the reliability down to the you know the perfection of it blows up two yards after it crosses the line and that'll do it's a lot easier to get to that stage these days but then of course everybody can do it so it doesn't become easier it's it's always about doing it that 0.01 of a percent better than everybody else but yeah you think all all that time back in the day with the some things on you know on the car that were quite rudimentary in a way to actually have have bolted something together that was that dominant and lasted that well is is staggering to think of it back then and it's staggering to think of it now really but like I say, is everything with the Red Bull team. It's not just as Newey's concept is is the total concept of the car. It's not the aero. It's not the underbody. It's not the wing. It's not the diffuser. It's everything together. You look at their pit stops, and uh, and I think there was a you know sub two second pit stops uh, since we went to the the bigger wheels and tires. Something like there've been twenty two pit stops sub two seconds. 20 of them were Red Bull, or whatever the figure was. It was something like all of them are Red Bull, apart from one here and one there. That that was it. Sub two-second pit stop, even though the the game had completely changed with the weight of the wheels and the tyres and everything else. But that, they're, they're just machines, and they don't, you know, the Verstappen's, oh, what's the, how much of a lead have we got? 24.1. How much do we lose on a pit stop if we're good? 23.1. Okay, I want to pit and do the fastest lap. All right, then. And and it was literally if if they'd have been half a second out, one wheel nut, one bit of finger trouble, then it would have gone, and uh, and they might have lost the race. But to have that confidence that okay, we need to do a two point something second pit stop. Yeah, we can take it easy and do that. That that level to be at sub two seconds so often, and way in advance of it, you know every other team. It does highlight it's not just one thing it's not just the car it's the whole team that's leading to this uh this success they're having but yeah like i say you would think one bit of reliability one bit of ill time something or other will they must come a cropper surely and not win every race but i kind of get the impression that if there is a badly timed safety car and verstappen's last at one point halfway through the race doesn't really matter he's still probably going to win it anyway Well, there we go. That's probably it for this week. It's been a lovely chat. We've basically gone round and round and like Formula One cars, we've gone round and round and round in circles with the odd tangent off into the pits of O-levels and orange 1970s cars, which could have been designed by an AI machine to be designed whilst under the influence of mushrooms or something. (laughs) But yes, so talking of cars from the past, it's this weekend. I am off to the Festival of the Unexceptional, which should be quite interesting. I think a Bond bug would probably be too exceptional for the Festival of the Unexceptional, and that's the whole point. So I'm expecting to see an awful lot of um, beige, usually with a Rover badge or a British Leyland badge or probably a Proton or two. So I shall report back. I hope to have a chat with some of the some of the people there who are obviously of a like mind to the rest of us. It's going to be wonderful, I think. I do love this sort of thing. There's going to be so much of, and I remember them. Oh, we used to sit in the back of one of those and I've broken down in one of those many, many times and my father has cursed them <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning because the lights don't work. So I shall report back and I think it's going to be quite good fun. I hope everyone else has a lovely rest of the week. So I look forward to chatting to you next time. So from me, Dave, it's been fun. See you next time. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. 
And from me, Graham, goodbye and uh, take care on the roads. Look after yourselves. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.